1: I'm Aaron Smealy, host of The Anxious Achiever, and welcome to my LinkedIn Live. Today, digital transformation expert, Charlene Lee, on what she calls the hardest transformation, her own health. Charlene helped me create an AI for my work. She took something that was mystifying and terrifying to me, I'm sure it is to you as well, and helped me see the inspiration and possibility for myself. For decades, Charlene has helped millions of people navigate the transition to a digital life. She's a New York Times bestselling author and a true expert on disruptive transformation and leadership. And so today, we talk about that hardest transformation. And most importantly, how to find the motivation to change and the courage to take a leap. Hint, you won't find the motivation in other people. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Charlene. Hey there, good to see you. So I just wanna thank you. I got the time wrong for our live today and you showed up right on time. And I was like, it's actually in an hour. And you were like, no problem. And that really means a lot. (laughs)
0: life is too short to get upset about small things like this. So I'm I'm just glad we're talking. I'm looking forward to this. You know, it's
1: funny. You actually write about part of your health transformation was that, as is so often the case among women, I was too busy giving of myself, pleasing people and holding everything together. I was an incredibly competent, high achieving person who didn't let balls drop. (laughs) How big a piece of your identity is that, or was that this sort of like, I am a high achieving person who doesn't let balls drop? I think it was a high achieving person.
0: And I recognized early on that I was going to let balls drop, that things were not gonna be perfect, far from it. And I, it, it was one of the first things I, I had even before I got married, actually some advice I got from a very, very wise person to not feel guilty does not feel guilty because there's no, nothing that could come from being guilty, feeling guilty about things. I may wish that things were different. I may wish that things were more like under control, but I always say to my kids, you know, have you ever done, have you done your best? Mm-hmm. And I end each day feeling like, okay, I've done my best. I did my best. And if my best wasn't good enough, then I don't know what else I can give. So I go, I sleep really well at night knowing that I've done my best and it's not pretty. Right. <laughs> I would just
1: say that. <laughs> That's amazing. So so it really worked for you to sort of let go of guilt about all the things. Yeah, um, someone
0: said, you know, you go to work and you work your first shift, then you come home and you take care of your family, you take care of your friends and community and everything, the second shift. And ideally you throw a little bit of yourself in there too as well. And the third shift is when you feel guilty about not having done enough work in the first and second shifts. And this person said to me, don't work the third shift. It doesn't get you anything. So I'm like, that's a good point. So I have just always refused to work a third shift. And when I recognize that I am working that third shift, then I go, wait a minute, why am I doing this to myself? And the hard part was carving out the time and the space to take care of myself. And I just didn't do that for the longest Mm -hmm. time. And as a result, I was just running myself down. Um, And I made this realization that my cup was completely empty. And so now what I do is I fill my cup and give from the overflow. because mm. so that's the only way it can
1: work. So I'm honored to have you. Hello, everyone. Please pop in your questions for Charlene in the chat. I'd really love to have a dialogue. There's so much I want to ask you about, but I was really struck. Your newsletter is so great, but I was really struck by a recent newsletter you wrote about your own t- transformation of your health and how you said it was the hardest journey. You've done a lot of really hard and amazing things in your life. So that's saying something. And um, I was really curious that um, you had sort of a, a recipe for how you approached your transformation because you're an expert in transformation. What? Well, let's talk about that. But I wanna start by asking you like, What was the moment that made you say, "I have to change things"? This this can't keep going on.
0: Um, It was the summer of 2021, and you know, in the middle of the pandemic, um, a year into it, and and I was just really unhappy on multiple fronts, and I just I just can't keep doing this. Uh, So I went on a meditation retreat and just said I need to like figure out what's going on. And I came back and said, "Okay, I'm going to make some significant changes." And that week away just really got Mm -hmm. me centered on what was really important in my life. Um, I had a lot of anger and resentment, so I dealt with a lot of that. And um, in, and then felt we placed that with love and compassion and gratitude. I f- didn't know what I was gonna do with my career, was kind of hmm. stuck, um, had some ideas about, I was really motivated about what is it that I really wanted to accomplish in my life, what my purpose was going to be, and the impact I wanted to have. And then I just found really just like this deep, deep commitment to myself and to what I mentioned about filling my cup and taking care of myself to accomplish all these other things I wanted to do in my life. Um, And and so that week was really transformative and and being able to get really focused and, and reset how I saw the
1: world. What did you realize about your own health and how you felt in your body?
0: I, you know, I, I, I was unhealthy. Um, I was definitely overweight just to the point of just being on the um, cusp of being obese. And my numbers, you no know, cholesterol wise, my sugar levels, glucose levels were unhealthy um, and have mm-hmm. a family history of that. And as an aging woman, uh, it, it just is not work. It was not moving in the right direction. And so I said, look and I'd always thought, you know, I wanna be around for my grandkids, maybe even my great grandkids. And that wasn't motivating enough. And I know enough that uh, transforming your health is probably the hardest thing you can do. There's a reason why people struggle with this because it is incredibly hard. There are ways that we are wired, the ways our environments are wired, um, the way our bodies are just naturally configured, um, the ways our brains work that fight against this. And so to have that motivation and that focus to really significantly change it was, incredibly
1: difficult. You mentioned that the feeling of it wasn't going to work if I felt like I had to do it for other people. That wasn't powerful enough. But often we don't give ourselves the importance that we need. Saying I'm going to do it for me also feels you know, selfish. Selfish. Yeah, selfish. Right? And my
0: identity has always been, you know, do good. Uh, my upbringing, religious background, cultural backgrounds, you do good. You're, you're a good person. You, you are going to do good things. And I found that that didn't serve me anymore. And so my identity, instead of being a good worker, good wife, good mother, good friend, had to really shift. And what I realized is is that my definition of good was defined by everybody else, not by me. And so, what did it mean to be good? And I'm like, you know, this this is no longer serving me. What I wanted to do was, what does it mean to be great? And what's going to take to become and be great and to stay great? And that's, what, and that's my definition, not anybody else's, no, no one else's definition of success. It's not about publishing, you know, lots of books and bestsellers. It's not about having the best clients or having the biggest team and the biggest budgets and having, you know, titles. What does it mean to be really great for me? It's defined only by me so that that focus on that purpose and this is why transformations are so powerful is that when it becomes a meaningful purpose to you and you can tell if it's meaningful to you or not uh, purpose is all about is it meaningful to you and does it have an impact on the world those two things have to be there because so it's just meaning to you meaningful to you but you don't do anything <laughs> about it then that's not really purpose it's just like feeding yourself you know and being narcissistic about it and, and a bit of a hedonist uh but know, but to have the impact on the world and to be meaningful to yourself becomes a purpose that becomes all-consuming and driving everything that you want to do. And I just didn't have that strong sense of purpose that was meaningful to me and not defined by anybody else.
1: It's so interesting, right? Because well, of course, someone else could look at you and your career and everything you've accomplished and your your you know your notoriety and it, not not criminal good notoriety. But what what was like? La- what did being great mean to you? What, how did you, how do you define it now? Is it different than you would have defined it ten years ago?
0: It's it's somewhat similar, but instead, because I publish a lot of books, one of them is a New York Times bestseller, so I've been there, done that. Totally. And for me, it for example, I gave a talk yesterday in Washington D.C. to a group of um, it, governmental, nonprofit, private businesses; these coalitions in different regions to improve the connection between employment mm. and education. So, that, and, and to make sure it's much more inclusive and equitable. And and I was talking about how AI could help really revolutionize that. And I talked to a woman beforehand, and she said, "You know, I just don't know about this. I'm not an early adopter. I may be young, but this stuff, I just don't, I just don't know about it." And afterwards, she said. I am so confident now that I can go out and do this. You know, you gave me confidence that I can make this happen. To me, that is what great looks like. When I have that kind of impact and it's at that individual level, that what I say is inspiring somebody to have confidence to make these changes, to to step into the unknown, something that was really scary for them before and now isn't, that to me is a great day.
1: You did that for me. We're part of an author's group and AI is a huge fear, an existential fear for so many people, but for those of us who make a living based on content. And you shared how to really take ownership of your IP very simply through AI. And I closed your email, made my own AI in two hours. And I have to tell you, like, I sh- I'm so proud of it. I share it to everybody, mora.ai. Like, you just did that for me. That's awesome. <laughs> that was transformative.
0: And that that's what makes me feel awesome. <laughs> and that's why I do my work, right? <laughs> to to do this and you know, thank you for sharing that because it makes my day. That makes my day. I'm so glad.
1: mora.ai. Um okay, so I want to talk a little bit about the specifics of what you shared in terms of your health journey and then I want to broaden out about making decisions. Um you have three things um that you shared. And one of it was that you have been taking Ozempic, and I wanna talk about food noise. This is a concept that I find super interesting. What was your relationship with food and food noise, and how has that changed? How do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I would get up in the morning and think
0: about what I was gonna eat for breakfast, and after breakfast, I'd be thinking about what I could eat for lunch, but then i I like, need a snack uh-huh. in the mid-morning. And you know, having more protein in the morning just definitely helped with that, but the, the noise was always still there. And so it was just this constant part of my brain was just thinking about it. And it's partly the way I think I am wired, the way my brain is, and um, partly cultural things that may have been you know come up in my patterns in my life. Uh, but for whatever reason, you know food was a major part of my day, yeah. And the, my family values food. We love eating it. We express our love by cooking for each other and making food. And so it becomes the central piece of my life, but in a way that I felt was really unhappy. And when. I went on Ozempic. I, I actually took some ep- other appetite suppressing drugs first, and that's where I lost a vast majority of my weight. Huh. Um, but I found that it made it, they were stimulants, and so they were just I just did not feel good on them. So yeah. we switched over to Ozempic, and the benefit of it was not only was my appetite controlled, but that food noise just went away.
1: Is there guilt with food noise? Is it also? I ate that. I shouldn't have eaten that. Now I'm going to punish myself now. Or is that less-
0: yeah. A little bit, but it's not even the guilt afterwards. Cause I, again, I, <laughs> I just try not to live in the guilt world. I'm like, okay, I came back last night, you know, after my like trip and I'm like eating there a little bit of ice cream. And then this morning I'm like, I threw all the, it was leftover ice cream from a party and I threw it all out this morning. It's like, I shouldn't <laughs> be eating that. No, but in the moment it was great. I loved it. <laughs> so, And so it's good eating habits, but also just craving it and wanting it. Um, and so it's, I can tell um, when I go off of it because of various shortages. I mean, there are shortages right now. So I'm at that point right now where I'm not actually on, about to start it again, cause I just got my supply. Nice. So definitely came roaring back over the past two weeks.
1: Hmm.
0: So all that food noise is right there. I'm like, wow, look at that. There it is right in the middle of Thanksgiving, not a good time to like run out of something. So it's really, and and just managing that and realizing, oh, this is, you know, there's a part of me that says, I wish I wasn't dependent on it. Um, But the reality is this is the way I'm wired. And um, I'm I'm working with my healthcare providers to say, are there other alternatives, um, things, but it works really, really well for me.
1: To me, I mean, I've I've had several people near me go on it and the the instantaneous change in behavior and cognition, it, it's so chemical, like it's so clearly a brain thing to me because of the way that it just works instantly. Yeah, I mean, it just went away. It's one of those things where people
0: are like, I can't believe you're on a zempic Do you feel bad about that? And like, yeah. I need it in the same way that um, I would need glasses or I would need heart medication if I needed that. Or if I was diabetic, I would need insulin. And so this is, this is, um, you know, unfortunately it's extremely expensive. Again, I'm trying to find an alternative to are a little bit more sustainable, yeah. but it works really well for me with almost no side effects. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of one of those poster childs for a yeah. Um Again, just, It was right there on the cuffs, like it was definitely pre-diabetic, moving in the wrong direction with my A1Cs, everything I was doing between diet and everything, nothing was helping and now I have a really healthy A1C.
1: What else did you do
0: to transform your health? Um, Again, exercise Mm -hmm. was a big part of it. So um, do a lot of strength training and then trying to do more cardio. So. Um, I just signed up to do a race in the end of March. So, oh. and, and I better get going on the training because I'm gonna be really suffering if I don't get my act together. How long is the so race? It helps. Um, It's just a 5K race, but it's a Spartan race. So it's like climbing over obstacles and doing crawls under barbed wire and all those kind of crazy things. And fire, there's fire. There's firework, there's ice, you know, <laughs> obstacles and everything. And the reason why, again, I, I kind of like to put myself out there. And the thinking is, if I'm uncomfortable with this, then I should do it.
1: If I'm uncomfortable with this, then I
0: should do it. Why? Um, because it's going to challenge me and make me grow in ways that I could never anticipate. Hmm. So if something's scary, I'm like, oh, I you know, why is this scary for me? Why do I think that I can't do it? And everything um, that I, I have some friends who do Spartan races and I said, can I do this? They go, well, if you can't get over an obstacle or you can't do a rope climb, you do 30 burpees. I'm like, oh, I can do that. I love doing burpees. So the, the idea that I can do this race and if I have to meet every single obstacle and can't, for whatever can't do it, then I have an alternative. Right. So I'm like, oh, I can do that and run 5K. I can do that. I'll get really muddy. Mm -hmm. I don't mind getting muddy. Um, I'll get a little bit bruised up and everything that can all be patched. But the challenge of that and to be able to, um, you know, use it as a goal to get really, really, really fit Mm -hmm. uh, was really, really intriguing to me.
1: And then you talk about sleep, which we all know we need to get more
0: sleep. Yes, sleep. Sleep is a constant issue (laughs) and we need more sleep. I have Alzheimer's in my family. So uh, sleep is especially important for cognitive health. So I, I wear an RO ring, um, try to wear it every night. Sometimes I forget and I track my sleep. And I have various buddies and people who we, we, we check in um, regularly to see how we're doing on our sleep. Um, so there's a little bit of accountability there too. We, we share our sleep patterns with each other. And so it's it's something that I, I really take very seriously. It's something I, I really try to make sure that I have great sleeping conditions. I blacked out my entire room um, from light make sure that it's a comfortable temperature, don't eat late at night. Last night was an exception um, <laughs> before going to bed. <laughs> and then um, just really try to see the quality of the sleep too, see and track what were the things that were contributing to not having good quality sleep and then try to do that. Um, I have found recently that, you know, I'm a little bit anxious right now because I'm, I'm, I am got a lot of things going on between family and holidays and travel and writing a book, mm. really high, kind of intense time. And so I'm seeing that my stress levels are higher. Thanks to the RA. ring I can track that. And that I really need to get more, have more restorative time for myself during the day.
1: What works so for you? Think,
0: taking breaks, taking deep breaths, meditations, just working that in more, more
1: intentionally. Yeah, I was gonna ask you if you had any advice when you're in an amped up time, right? Whether or not you run anxious as a person normally, but when you find yourself sort of just operating at that amped up level, how to what you do to sort of calm so you can sleep take breaths deep breaths like throughout the day
0: yeah i have this habit and i started a long time like more than 20 10 years ago where between meetings i would take three deep breaths it takes no more than 20 30 seconds
1: just like an inhale outhale breath anything special
0: three breaths like from the belly just three deep breaths um when i was running teams and meetings I would ask that we take a deep breath together before we start the meeting so that we could center and be present for each other. Because you're running in like, okay, I'm here, I'm here. Everyone let's take a deep breath. And it's so centering. to just like, okay, we've arrived here. Take a cleansing breath, clear everything else away. Now be present. Look around, see who's here. I appreciate we're all here. Okay, now we're going to do some great work together. Just little things like that. Little things, um, I've had a meditative practice of when I'm washing my hands, really slowing down and washing my hands, feeding the water and the soap and taking some deep breaths. It does two things, it calms me down, builds in regular sort of meditative moments, and it makes me make sure that I wash my hands really well. <laughs> it's very helpful during COVID. Uh, so it's a really, it's like a nice little practice and it takes, you know, just that little bit of time. But instead of something that's a chore, it's something like, oh, it's a reminder because we use the bathroom all the time and we should be washing our hands all the time. It's a little reminder to just take a little minute, just a few seconds to take care of myself.
1: I was talking to a friend last night who runs a clinic in um, DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, and it's all about mindfulness. And And I said, you know, I've never asked you this. We've known each other forever. Do you meditate? And she said, no, but I have a walking meditation almost every day. I'm mindful as I walk into a room, how I feel. I'm mindful before I open up a Zoom with a client, how I feel, why, why when someone says something, I feel this way. I feel the air on my body. And so I think what what you're highlighting is so important, which is that like you don't have to go and sit and meditate actively for 30 minutes a day to get the benefits of mindfulness. Meditation and mindfulness are not the same thing.
0: That's true. Mindful is about being present. And meditation can be a way to help you practice that muscle. But I think it's so important for us as people, and especially if we're leading people, that we be really mindful about how we are showing up Mm -hmm. and how we're going to relate to other people. And this goes to work relationships, it goes to, personal relationships, it goes especially to parenting. You know, for all the parents of teenagers, my heart goes out to you because it is so difficult to remain mindful when your kid is spinning and their whole job is to spin you up because that's their job as teenagers is to really push the boundaries of what it means to be in that relationship with the parent. And so they're training themselves and they're training us and the, the, the worst thing you can do is to let it get to you and let those emotions and be unaware of what those emotions are. So when you can be mindful in that moment of stress and anxiety and tremendous conflict, to take a deep breath and like, I have a teenager. They're gonna do this. And I'm gonna be the adult in the room right now. And that requires me not to spin out. That's their job. That's
1: their job. Oh God, I have two teenagers. It's their job. To and push they trigger the me. That's the worst thing. And it's so embarrassing to admit this as a parent, but they trigger me and they, they control my mood. Absolutely. But they don't. Right. They, that's
0: their job to do that, to push it. And the best thing you can do is to take a deep breath, put on that smile going, excuse me, I need to leave.
1: <laughs> do whatever
0: you have to do. And they're like, what just happened? Like, i like, I can't deal with this right now. And this and just spinning, and this is going on. I'm like, I, I, I got to go take care of myself so that I can come back and be the best person possible, be the best parent possible.
1: Can you do that as a manager? Oh yeah, I
0: do it all the time. Tell me. Yeah. So you know, an employee comes up and just goes, blah blah blah, I'm complaining about this. This coworker is upset about that. You've done these things, whatever. And I'm just sitting in there listening, and I can feel myself getting upset and wanting to respond, but I can recognize I'm getting upset. I take that deep breath because we have that practice. I'm like, let's take a deep breath for a second. Or I actually will say to my kids, whoever it is, I'm being triggered right now, and I want to be the best person possible, best possible parent, friend, spouse, whatever possible. I need a minute. And then do you do you leave or do you? I sometimes you can just say, I just just give me a second here. I want to process everything you heard. I need to understand it. I need to think about it. And I wanna give you a response. I may not be able to give you a response right now because I need to process it, but this is what I heard from you. Mm. Or I just need a minute to just center myself. Because when anybody is in that excited state, they can't hear, they can't listen. They're just exploding at you. So let them explode. Um, I I love this whole thing when somebody comes to you and upset to go, do you wanna be heard right now? Do you wanna be helped right now? Or do you need a hug?
1: or distraction. Do you just need yeah. support?
0: Yeah. You know, what is it that you need right now? What do you want from me? And so rather than assuming they just want to be helped and, and problem to solve, and this is so hard for me, because I just want to solve everyone's problems. That's what I do. I've had to learn back and like, wait a minute. So what would be helpful for you in this moment?
1: I did a podcast with Daisy Oje Dominguez. And, and she says, you know, her, her thing is, do you want me to witness, listen, help or distract? And um, my husband and I started doing that. And we were actually, we were in couples therapy yesterday. And um, he was talking about something that wasn't triggering me, actually. It was about his parents. So, And I ran into problem solve. And the therapist said, hold on a minute. Hear him. Acknowledge his emotion. Don't rush into problem solve right? Because that's what we want to do. And that's we're good
0: at it. Right. And that's why I find mindfulness to be so helpful. Huh? It's to be really yeah. present, really understanding what the situation is before acting. So if you're mindful, and you can check in and go like, I hear you, what would be most helpful to you? And just that one little bit of a pause to ask that one question. I hear you, I see you understand you. What would be helpful? They go, I just want to be heard. Okay, this is what I heard. And just to hear that back from somebody, to be seen and understood, like, oh, thank you so much. That may be all they need. Like, I need help. Okay, great. This is is what I heard from you. What help would be really supportive to you? And sometimes they just need that support or distraction or something. I, I, I met somebody recently, her family's all from, uh, they're all writers. And I said, I was writing a book and she goes, call me anytime if you need somebody to procrastinate with. I'm happy to be your procrastination buddy. Cause <laughs> you know, people are like, oh, you know, call me if like, you need some support. I can like be your accountability buddy to make sure you write. She goes, I'm here for you if you need a distraction. If you just need to procrastinate, cause I get it. You need to have it. procrastination to like be able to process. And I'm like, thank you for seeing me. For understanding me (laughs) that, you know, as a writer, like procrastination is a part of our lives and how we deal with it. So it's it was really grateful. I was really grateful to be seen in that way.
1: I love that. I think you're also highlighting the power of the pause and silence in helping be mindful, but also in helping people feel seen and heard.
0: But you have to be mindful of yourself, how you're feeling. And so I, I whenever I start getting triggered, I'm like oh, wait a minute, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. I I need to pause, get myself centered. If I see somebody else being triggered, I'm like, let's pause, let's get centered
1: (laughs) because it's not helping any of us. I want to ask you a question about anger, if that's okay. You mentioned at the beginning that you had been dealing with a lot of anger a few years ago. And as you went on this sort of transformative journey, A, what, what helps you get rid of your anger? What practices? And also did you find that your anger was intertwined with your own poor treatment of your health and yourself it was
0: all tied in and um it sounds so cliche um but if you have gratitude and appreciation and love for yourself and for the people around you makes the world a lot better and so i was really angry um and i wrote about this in my my latest newsletter on thanksgiving about how powerful gratitude is. And if I'm angry about a particular situation or a person behind that situation, it's really hard, but I practice gratitude towards that person. It's really, really hard.
1: How? How?
0: (laughs) So hard. So hard. But I realize that unless I can see that person for their gifts and their passions, I will never be able to connect with them and I will just remain angry. But if I see them as this whole person and understand them, then I can start feeling gratitude, appreciation, even love for them um, in all the different forms that love shows up, then I can work my way towards some sort of understanding. And the anger starts going away. Because anger is not a productive tool. It can be a very motivating tool, but it's not gonna be, it can be be very Again, And I'm not saying never be angry, but understand what the place of that is coming from and then be able to channel it and use it towards a good place. And it becomes a foundation to recognize what is wrong and then how you want to fix it. But if you absolutely want to fix it, you can't do it from a place of anger. It has to be from a place
1: of growth and abundance. You have to make the decision though, that you're ready to stop being angry. And that leads me into my last question. And I'm going to look at my notes here because um, you wrote in a recent newsletter, and it just this hit me in the gut. You said, the hardest part of change, of transformation, isn't the leap that we make. It's recognizing I can't stay where my feet are planted. If those seem like one and the same, they're not. Think about a major decision you had to make, quitting a job, moving to a new city, ending a relationship, starting a company. They're huge leaps, but the real work came in deciding to leave the status quo behind. And realizing that safe space is no longer acceptable for you, and this is true for anger too, because anger can feel so comfortable. It was, you know, incredibly comfortable.
0: Right. It was a great way to self-soothe. Um, it was a way for me to avoid having to do the really hard work and introspection. It was. It was a way to have to avoid seeing other situations and other people from a different light. Yep because that would then call into my sense of the world of reality that I've been wronged.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And when I began to see, okay, it's not that stark and black and white, and that um, I had a role in playing and making this happen too as well, and that accountability and that responsibility, the acceptance of that, then you can begin to start evolving your view and look at the world very differently. And instead of saying anger, and this person can't, 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 and instead saying gratitude and appreciation, this person can. Mm. And to support that vision of what that could look like. Because if I'm angry not doing this, and I want them to do that instead, then how do I get them to do that? Well, I want to encourage that behavior. So instead of being always angry about what you didn't do, or you did these things, what's the word I want to manifest? What does what really look like? What does it want? What I want it to be. And let's go make
1: that world happen. And and how much space would I have if I were free from this anger? Anger to me is also, it's like a, it's a thought loop, just like anxiety, right? And it it can be a comforting one. It's a habit. But it takes some space in your brain. And when you can take that and start pulling it aside,
0: just pushing it aside, maybe not get rid of it, pushing it aside so there's room for this other point of view, then that anger starts to Shrink yeah. because this other area is growing. And I tell you, it's really hard. When you're angry with your kid, your spouse, your mother, it doesn't matter, your coworkers, your boss, the world, <laughs> politics, <laughs> it can be really <laughs> devastating, right? It's just like it can just drive you and consume you. And it doesn't necessarily motivate you to be able to see what change is possible.
1: My last question for you is. What's your advice about making the decision to take the leap, realizing you can no longer stay where your feet are planted? Again, it, it requires two things. It
0: requires to take a really hard look at the place where you are and say, is it really serving me anymore? Literally physically, like places where I work or live, um, relationships that may no longer be serving me, colleagues. Um, it, you know, there's, and they're just like, look, this is not serving me anymore. And what do I want the world to look like instead? If I know this is a place where I'm just comfortable, because thinking about that outside future is so incredibly scary, because I don't know what's out there, and I'd rather not be with the devil that I know than the one I don't. Because right. at least here, it's comfortable. Right. It's like a warm blanket that's like really spiky, but at least it's warm. <laughs> it's scratchy, but it's warm. Like what yeah. if I had to throw it off and go look for another blanket? I may not have a blanket. So I. it's really hard to, to decide to leave. But the minute you decide to leave and you can actually toss that off, then you can look around, the world looks really, really different. And so it's having enough of a belief that you can manifest that future, that you can step out and you're going to be okay. That's where the confidence is, that it may not be perfect. In fact,
1: it may be really hard, but I'll be okay. I feel like you also have to practice being uncomfortable because you're going to have a lot of uncomfortable moments.
0: Yeah, I try to make, I I talk about being, having adventure and curiosity in my day all the time, but I kind of think about it as looking for disruptions that challenge me, which is why, again, I want to go do the Spartan race because it it really scares me like having a climb a a rope. You know, I have a friend, I'm like, I don't have the body strength to climb a rope. He goes, oh, it's not about the body it's all about the lower body and shoes, having the right shoes. I'm like, tell me the answer here. So I'm like, okay, we're gonna go and find a rope and climb it together. (laughs) So I'm looking
1: forward to that. Well, Charlene, thank you. And and listen, tell us how you do in your Spartan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm about to go register for it, so. Yeah, March 30th. So I'll let you all know.
1: That's awesome. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you, listeners. Thank you, Pauline. I love that anger can be motivating, but not productive. Hell, yes. And I wish you a wonderful end of the year. Thanks. That's it for today. To hear more LinkedIn Lives, head over to my profile on LinkedIn, where they're all indexed. You can subscribe to my newsletter too. And be sure to subscribe or follow the Anxious Achiever feed for more of these conversations, as well as my regular podcast episodes.